0: Hallelujah! Thank you, Brother Lee. I appreciate your leadership, your help. Hang on, it has to take a little time to change. It's good to be in the house of God. There's a lot of places you could be here tonight, probably a place or two that it had snowed a little more, you would have been somewhere else, but I'm glad we've got decent weather, roads are good, and we're here, this is a good thing. I'm glad to spend time in the house of God. It's just a a wonderful place to be, and it's a wonderful wonderful thing to know that God is here. Sister Julie, thank you for the songs you you chose, the songs you led, and the story that led up to them. Uh, I can just see your mom and dad joining in with you on those songs a little family time there. That's a great thing. Those songs do remind us of the hope that we have in Him, the hope we have with Him. You know, I I would like to teach, preach tonight. I'd like to ask a question. Um, I'd like to ask the question, where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? Uh, And I'd like for us all to kind of personalize that and ask it to yourself. Where would I be if Jesus didn't love me. And I'd like to, to start it by, by giving a, a true story. You, Sister Julie, you gave a true story tonight. I'd like to tell a true story. Happened about 45 years ago on a Wednesday night in a church right out of Baton Rouge. The church was Denham Springs, uh, United Pentecostal Church. It's a great church. My wife's family, many of her family members, go to that church and pastored by a man, Brother Brother W.R. Johnson, and he pastored it 45 years ago as well. 45 years ago, the church was small. It had about 20 people in the congregation. Right now, they have a a, a sanctuary that seats almost 1,900 people, and it's a a good field sanctuary. It's tremendous growth. But 45 years ago, on on a Wednesday night, he was preaching, maybe doing a little teaching, and at the start of service, a man walked in with his little young girl child in his arms. Her legs were in braces. The legs went out at 50-degree angles from normal, and she had these severe braces on, And, and he brought the girl in the church and sat down in the church, small building, and a small congregation and and two two new people in the congregation are very noticed, especially when one of them is crippled with heavy braces. And Brother Johnston had already chosen what he was going to preach that night, but he preached from Isaiah chapter 53, the final verse, uh, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. And that's a topic he had planned to preach on, and that's the topic that he did preach on, even though there was a girl there with heavy braces on her legs that turned out at a 50-degree angle from normal. And he preached. At the end of the service, the dad carried the little girl up to the front and said, Pastor, if you believe what you preached, pray for my daughter. So Brother W.R. Johnson began praying for this little girl. And while he was praying, audibly, the people praying around, they could hear the bones cracking as they pulled back into place. They hurriedly took the braces off, and they kept pulling back into place. And her legs straightened up and pulled back as a healthy child would have them. I think that's a great story. That happened 45 years ago. The dad's name, I have it written here somewhere, Malcolm Myers. Today, 45 years later, he passes a church in Covington, Louisiana, a growing church, Today, 45 years later, the girl that had been crippled is a grown girl. She's a grown lady. She's married with children, living for God. And everywhere she goes, she tells what Jesus Christ did for her. It's by his stripes we are healed. I think that's a wonderful story, but it explains something that I think we need to know. Where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? That girl would still be crippled because if there was no love in Christ, then there would have been no blood shed, there would have been no stripes received, there would have been no healing purchased, and she would not have been healed. But but there are certain things that come our way because Jesus Christ loves us. Where would I be if Jesus didn't love us? I'm not going to preach his sermon, but I do want to read some of the other verses from Isaiah chapter 53, reading verses 1 all the way through 5. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. You could read those first few verses and not understand who, the, who, is, who it's talking about. But when you get down to that fifth verse, just a little bit of Bible knowledge pulls some things together, and you realize what Jesus Christ suffered at Calvary. And you can... Pull that particular passage from Isaiah, pull it together, and you can understand what Jesus Christ has done for us, and it was simply because he loved us. He loved us. I'm thankful for his love. Years ago, Andre Crouch wrote a song. How many of you remember Andre Crouch? Some of his last songs turned me off of him because he he said some things he shouldn't have said, but he wrote a song, I don't know why Jesus loved me. Anybody know it? I don't know why he cared. Where's the drummer? I don't know why he sacrificed his life. Oh, but I'm glad, so glad he did. It's a great song. Where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? One verse says, he left his mighty throne in glory to bring to us redemption story. Then he died and he rose again just for you and me. Oh, but I'm glad, I'm glad he did. That brought some of you back to the 70s singing that song. I don't know why Jesus loved me. Where would I be? if Jesus didn't love me. There's some things in life we don't understand. And I don't understand why Jesus loved us. I know that back in creation and even now, we are made in His image. I understand that. But I don't think that he went to Calvary just because we were made in his image. But he he did go to Calvary. Listen to this other verse from Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 7. Romans 5, verse 7. For scarcely for a righteous man would one die, yet peradventure for a good man some might even dare to die. But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Why? It's because He loved us while we were yet sinners. I don't understand that kind of love. I wish I I could, but I can't understand that kind of love. But He loved us with that depth of a love. Quite a while back, I was talking to a a new convert. The new convert came from a a family that was dysfunctional, lots of issues. And when that convert would come to church, they just had such a wonderful feeling about the people of God, the, the house of God. They felt loved here when they went home they felt despised but here they felt love at the church where they were they felt that love in the sanctuary they felt the love from the people they felt there was no judgment there and they they loved that feeling so much till they made the statement i wish i could just live in the house of god the reason that 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 individual that new convert felt that way is because god loved them He expressed it through the people in the congregation. He expressed it through messages that were preached. He expressed it through the acceptance that the people gave to that new convert. They felt it, but it was Christ's love for them. Where would that new convert be if Jesus Christ didn't love them? It would be lost. They would have never come to a place of salvation if they couldn't feel that love of God that came to them. Where would I be? if jesus didn't love me a few services back at here here at the lighthouse i was sitting in my normal seat over there and i happened to look across and several rows our young people and some even further back as they filtered through the congregation but i looked over there and i saw i saw the young people and i prayed for them i said lord Protect them from the predators that prey on purity. Shield them, God. Put a covering over them. There's an evil enemy that desires to destroy them in any way possible. Guard them, God, I pray. Protect them. Be that shield, be that covering. Save them from the hand of the enemy. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief cometh but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I am come, Jesus said, that they might have life and that more abundantly. And I prayed for for God's protection over our young people. Every one of them started calling them by name. Lord, protect them from the enemy, protect them from his devices. We're not wise enough in evil ways to know all of his devices. About the time you think you have them all, he comes up with one you hadn't heard of before. Well, how's he going to sneak that in? But, but in, his, in his devious, demonic ways, he's able to touch into the hearts and the lives of people, trying to sk- steal and kill and destroy and rob them of their purity. He's a predator. He's a thief. He wants to blow their mind with drugs. He wants to steal their purity. He wants to to take away their balanced thinking with perversion. And he will throw the perversion from any means necessary. And when you think there's a, a clean element in the world and it can't be perverted, it'll end up becoming perverted and, and the, in our culture today there was some there, there was two little fish, fishes swimming along an old grandpa fish came swimming by them and the grandpa fish says hello guys how's the water and one of them said oh the water's fine and the other one says what's water Water had been going in and out of his gills. It was part of his life. It was part of his element. It was part of his culture. And he didn't even know what water was. And that's what happens to the young people and old people in our culture today. They're just swimming in the culture. And the perversion that's there goes in and out of our gills. We're we're breathing it. We're experiencing it. And it's hard for us to get a clear-cut definition of what is right and what is wrong, what is pure and what is perverse. And I pray God protect them from the predator that preys on purity. Keep them safe. Can we pray right now for that? Lord Jesus, I pray in your name right now. Be the covering that every one of these young people need. Let them feel that power of God overshadowing them. When Satan tries to slip in on their blind side, give them an understanding of right and wrong. God, let there be a clarion voice speaking into their heart. At that moment, let them know how to resist the devil. Resist him. He will flee from you, from from them, your word tells them. God, give them the power, the wisdom, the understanding to resist, oh God. Cover them with your blood, I pray. Cover them, Lord Jesus. Some of them do not have parents to pray for them. We step in that gap right now, God. I ask that you would touch them. God, I pray that you administer to them. Let them feel that overshadowing of your spirit everywhere they go, at school, on the job, in college, wherever they are, whatever they're doing. God, I pray that they can have an awareness of your presence. Let it be the thing that checks them. Let it be the thing that directs them. Let it be your spirit that empowers them to live above this world, I pray. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, Where would they be if Jesus didn't love them? But because he loves them, they're surrounded by people that love them. Surrounded by people that want to see God's grace at work in their life. And I I think we can do it by his help. Mark Condon wrote a song. Some of you know it. I, I think you know it. Peace of God, cover me, cover me, cover me. Peace of God, cover me through the storm. Cover me, only in you I am safe, only in you I'm secure, only in you I find peace, so cover me, cover me. In a world that, where there's very little peace, I'm glad that God can cover us with his peace. Not just for the young people. They desperately need to feel that peace of God in the troubled world. They go to school with fears that I never had. They go to school with fears that a lot of you never had. But God can give them a peace because of his covering. And what does he cover us with? He covers us with his blood. Where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? I wouldn't have that covering of the blood of Jesus Christ. Wednesday or Wednesday back sometime, Brother Bernard was speaking at our chapel service at our headquarters building, and, and he, he talked, just just said something briefly in passing about, and he comes from a lawyer background, and he, he says that in court, cases, while the trial is going on even, even when they're before a jury, the, the person who is being questioned has the choice to plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. Now what that's really saying is they plead the fifth amendment of the United States Constitution. No, there's several amendments that's been made to the Constitution, and the fifth Constitution has several parts to it, but one of the parts of the fifth that they're referring to when they say, I plead the fifth, that particular part is that a person does not have to testify to his own hurt. And the language that is given is, they shall not be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. That's you. And so they, they shorten it just to say, I plead the fifth. What they're really saying is, I plead the fifth amendment. It's, they have to have some wise counsel to know when to plead the fifth. If, if they would plead the fifth in front of the jury most often it will go against them because the jury will think they are hiding something. There's something that they don't want to tell because if they tell that, it would, it would condemn them. And so, they, so it's not really wise to say, I plead the fifth in front of the jury. But there are other places that they can plead the fifth during the course of the trial itself. Now, um, I just pushed a button and my computer went down be thinking about pleading the 5th just for a moment the good news is i printed a hard copy there is a there is a something that that is involved in pleading the 5th that oftentimes we don't understand the full meaning of it when we plead The fifth. There's something that goes on in a courtroom that the people around understand the background of that little phrase. There's nothing magical about saying, I plead the fifth. Those aren't magic words. But to people who understand the full background of what I plead the fifth amendment of the United States Constitution, when they say that, they understand why this person is not speaking. They do not want to speak or confess and, and it be to their own hurt. And the law gives them the privilege of doing that. And Brother Bernard, just, just briefly, he likened that to what we as apostolic people understand when we say, I plead the blood. How many of you ever have ever said that? I plead the blood. Yeah, that's something that we do. I plead the blood. But when you say, I plead the blood... It's not just some little superstitious, abracadabra statement that you make. But when you understand the background of the statement, I plead the blood, there is a power that is there. There is a covering that is provided when we say, I plead the blood. It's not a begging thing. Oh, I beg. It's, it's, not a, be- it's a legal term. It's when you are stating your position in, in Christ, It's when you are stating your understanding of of what the blood of Christ has purchased for you. And in your understanding of what the blood is, you can simply say, I plead the blood. There's volumes of words that back that up. But you say, I plead the blood. I can remember my mother sending my brother and I off to school. and She would say, go in God, I plead the blood. And she always said, keep the good and leave the bad. She said it every day when we went to school. Keep the good and leave the bad. And after a while, it just kind of got a little sing-song chant. You know, keep the good and leave the bad. And we'd say it with her, keep the good, because she'd raise her hand. <laughs> we'd do it with her, keep the good and leave the bad. Keep the good and leave the bad. And I didn't realize the power in that statement of what she was offering us in direction. There's going to always be good and bad, in anything you're involved in, keep the good and leave the bad. That's pretty good advice. And sometimes I took it, and sometimes I took it. And other read between the lines. We plead the blood. What does it really mean to plead the blood? It's like a lawyer pleading his case before a judge. He has a right to plead the case. The law as it's set up gives that lawyer the right to plead. It's not just something he's doing on his own will that he's just making this up and saying, I'm going to do this. No, the, the legal system that he's under gives him the right to plead his case or his client's case, and he can do that. And when we come to our our enemy... When we come to our devil, whenever he brings something against us, we can go to the, the, the just judge of the ages. And when we go to the just judge of the ages, or even when we declare it to the devil himself, there is, a, there is a law system that is in effect that we are a part of. It's God's system of justice. We didn't invent it. We didn't create it. But we live under it, and we need to take advantage of of it when the accuser says we're guilty I'm speaking of us as born again believers now when the accuser says we're guilty and in our heart we know we're not he is the father of all lies you know and he tells this stuff on us we, we, the Bible teaches us to resist him and he flees but one of the best places ways to resist him is to say I plead the blood because whenever our sins are covered by the blood and we plead the blood, He cannot go and pull that covering away. He didn't put that covering over my sins. God put those, that covering over my sins. And the devil can't jerk it back and expose what's under there to my hurt. Not in God's courtroom. I plead. Let me read a scripture to you. This is coming from Hebrews chapter 9. And I'm reading, starting with verse 11, but skipping around some verses. And then verse 24, chapter 12. But let me just read the verses. Realize that they come from various places in those two chapters. But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats or calves, but by his own blood, he entered, into, enter, entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He did that by his own blood. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of an heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctify it to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. Now, that's a a convoluted piece of Scripture. You need to read it sometime. Read it through again. Realize what Jesus Christ is telling us and what he's providing us in this particular passage. It's by his blood that my eternal redemption has been bought. It's his blood that covers my sin and makes me, brings me into that child relationship with him. That blood becomes our defense. His blood covering my sins declares that I am not guilty, but I'm free from the penalty of my sins. That's what his blood declares. The the blood of Jesus Christ gives us authority and dominion to resist the devil. We can't resist him by our own strength. When I was praying for our young people, I was not praying that they in their own strength could overcome the devil, but that by the covering of God's blood, there would be a way for them to be able to have that covering of his blood. They could claim that power, that authority, that dominion over Satan. Put him under their feet where he belongs. Not in the affairs of our lives, not in the affairs of our family, but under our feet as we tread On him. Even back in Genesis, it made us that promise. Because of Jesus' sacrifice on Calvary, the devil has no legal right to step back into my business. It is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's why I plead the blood. I plead the blood. James chapter 4 verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. 1 John 3 and 8, He that commit a sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. How did Jesus Christ destroy the works of the devil? It was through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that he purchased the power over Satan for us. Now, he always had the power over Satan, but we did not. But he purchased it for us. Luke 10, 19, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means hurt you. Why? Because we have a power that was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we say, I plead the blood, we're reaching into all of the truth that we've just gone through. We We wrap our arms around all that truth and we bring it into our own lives and it gives us the power to resist the devil in any situation. Any situation. Hallelujah. Let me take you quickly, and I'm I'm racing. Let me take you quickly to the Passover, the original, the first Passover. Children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for many years. And in their slavery, they served a cruel master. But they began crying out to the Lord, and the Lord heard their cry, and he delivered them. But how did he deliver them? He delivered them through a man by the name of Moses. Moses, under God's instruction and with his brother Aaron's help, he goes to the Pharaoh, and he deals with the Pharaoh, and there were ten plagues. In those ten plagues, much of the nation of Egypt was wiped out, destroyed, everything that came against them. But then the, the, the nine plagues. Now the tenth plague comes and, and God gives some instructions. And in his giving of instructions, I would like to, to see how it works. The book of Exodus chapter 12. I want to read a couple of verses. Now this is chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. Now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. For this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. Now that that is the setting the the last plague, the plague of the death of the firstborn. God wanted to spare the children of Israel, the, the, the Jewish people, as he was going to make them into a nation. At this point, they were just a bunch of slaves. Happened to be related to each other, but they really weren't a nation yet. So God told them what to do. Take a lamb, pure lamb, young lamb, And bring it into your house, bring it into your house for four days, let it be a house pet for four days and at the the end of those four days I want you to kill it I want you to take the blood and put it on the, the top of your door and on the two side post of your door and then I want you to eat it don't break the bones of it I want you to eat it and 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 then stay in there and the death angel is going to come. It's going to pass over you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. All of the firstborn of the Egyptians will die. Your firstborns will not die if you have the blood applied. You know the story. But there are several things in this one verse that I would like to look at as, as, and talk about the purpose for that, for that blood that was shed. For that Passover sacrifice, why was that blood shed? I want to give you a few reasons. The first reason is the blood provided protection. It provided protection. The blood kept them from what was going to destroy the areas of the world. It was going to destroy the children of the Egyptians. But if they had the blood applied, it would protect them from the... the Penalty that was going to come. It would protect them from the danger that was to come. And when you plead the blood in your lives today, you are pleading for the protection of God from the dangers that can come against you in this world. It's not just a random thing. I plead the blood, it's not just a a little abracadabra magic thing that you quote. It's not some superstitious deal that Grandma said and, you know, who knows what. But no, this is a biblical principle. When you plead the blood, you are pleading for God's protection because it is applied to you in the shedding of His sacrificial blood. This Passover lamb was a type, a shadow of what Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection was going to be. The second thing that it provided, though, it provided them deliverance from their slaves, from their masters. It provided them deliverance from their captivity. This was the final plague of a series of ten plagues. It was the most violent one. And at the end of this plague, Pharaoh said, all of you get out of here, even the people. The Egyptians said, get out of here. We will give you all of our jewelry. We'll give you all of our precious things. Just take it and go. We don't want to lose anything else. And they were able to be delivered out of their captivity because of the blood of a spotless lamb. One that was precious. More precious than just a lamb running loose out in the field. But it had become a house pet for four days. It had become precious to them. And they still sacrificed it. But look at the benefits of that sacrifice. They were able to get delivered. But there's another thing from there, the third point. The third thing that that blood brought to them was a brand new beginning. In the scripture that we read, it said, So this day shall be to you a memorial and you shall keep it as a feast unto the Lord throughout all your generations. You're going to celebrate this day. Another passage of Scripture there said this is a special day, and it is whatever month it was, second month, whatever, it is going to become the first month, first day. We're going to start all over. We're going to even count our calendar different because this event becomes the first month. And whenever you plead the blood over over a situation, I want you to have a faith and a confidence. Yes, I'm going to have protection. Yes, I'm going to have deliverance. But I also want you to understand with with that blood's promise comes a promise of a brand new beginning in Christ Jesus. You were made a new creature in Christ Jesus because the blood of Christ was shed for your eternal redemption. It provides a new day. This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Your children's going to ask about it. You're going to have a ceremony. You're going to have a a special Passover feast every year from now now on. and, And the Jews have their Passover feast. But he's saying that what happens tonight Is going to affect your future in such a way that it's going to be a brand new future. And when you look at their history, from that moment on, they had a brand new history. They left captivity. It's a wonderful thing. The fourth thing, it provided a witness. And this is important. It provided a witness. This is something that we don't uh, notice all the time. It's it's not that it's hidden, but we just don't read that far in the 12th chapter. We don't read all the way to the 38th verse. But here they are. They're in their houses. They've got the blood on their door. And their children are not killed. And the children of the Egyptians, the firstborn, are killed. But when you read the 38th verse... And a mixed multitude went up also with them. And flocks and herds and very much cattle. A mixed multitude left Egypt with them. Read it. What is a mixed multitude? It means it's people other than God's chosen. It's a mixed multitude. There were other people from Egypt that joined in the exodus. Well, they brought their cattle. They brought their animals. But the mixed multitude is not speaking about animals. It's speaking about people. God has always had a way for people to join His people. Even in, in the law, when you read, read from, from Moses' teaching, there was a way that a heathen person could become a Jewish person. There was a proselyting, that was a, a good word then, there is, a, there is a proselyting process that a heathen could become a part of the family of God, not just in religious belief, but in actuality they could come and be a part. There was rules and restrictions, but there was still a process by which it could happen. It started when a mixed multitude was allowed to leave the captivity leave, leave Egypt at the same time that the Jewish people left Egypt. How did those people know to leave? Why did they choose to go with Jehovah's people after seeing the blood the, the river turn to blood and and all of the cattle dying and, and all the crops getting eaten up by locusts and, and all the other Horrible situations that came. They were able to understand Jehovah is the powerful God. Our God of Baal, our Sun God of Ra, and all the other gods that they had, they were not worth serving or sacrificing to or following or believing in. And may have been on that sixth, on that tenth one, that they said, you know, I see them putting blood. Maybe I could do that. I don't know. I don't have Bible to say that they did that. But I do know that 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 event became a witness to them. And when it came time to leave captivity, those people, some of them, went with the Jewish people, that mixed multitude. When the blood of Jesus Christ is applied to you, it's intended to be a witness to others. It's not just to bless you and cover you. What happens when the blood of Jesus Christ is in your home? Are things different? What happens when the blood of Jesus Christ prevails in your home? Is it different? Do people that come into your home, do they, I like the smell of your candles. I like the color of your drapes. or I like the new wooden wall for the hose <laughs> or do when they come in they say what is that that's different here and you can tell them it's because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to this home there is something different about us it's not to make us self righteous it's not to make us better than everyone else But it's to make us a a witness to this world that when it comes time for us to leave, we bring that mixed multitude with us. Because our lives have been a witness. When you plead the blood, don't let it just be for your own sake, but plead the blood for those looking at your witness. And let them notice how much of a difference his blood makes in a life. It does make a difference. We're not just dabbling in superstitious and magic superstition and magic words. But instead, we are really functioning in the area of the supernatural. The natural mind can understand applying blood. That's why I took my time tonight to try to tell you some history of applying the blood. It doesn't mean that that we take a a bottle that has blood in it and we apply it to stuff. That's what they did. They, They put it on the doorpost. That's not what we say. We are linking our present with something that happened in the past, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we are pleading that blood because of what it purchased for us. It's a wonderful thing, wonderful thing. Where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? I would be without the blood. But perhaps, and I I really think I am, I'm asking the wrong question. The question is, where would I be if Jesus didn't love me? that's, That's not the right question. The right question is, where am I because Jesus loves me? Because when you start answering this question, thanksgiving wells up in your heart. Because He loved me, there's something changed. There's something different. Because He loved me, I am blessed. Because He loved me, I have been healed. Because He loved me, I am whole. Because He loved me, I am saved. Because He loved me, I have been comforted. Because He loved me, There and I, the list can go on and on of what Jesus Christ loved, His blood, His death, burial, and resurrection, what it has purchased and accomplished in my life. So I prefer to ask the second question, where am I because Jesus loved me? I am blessed. I am blessed. I am born again of the water and of the Spirit. I've been baptized in His Jesus name, born again of the water, I have been filled with His Holy Spirit. I've been baptized in the water and the Spirit. His Spirit dwells in me. It makes me an overcomer. It empowers me to be an overcomer. What do I have? Who am I? Because Jesus loves me. And ask yourself the question. Because Jesus loves you, what do you now have? what have you experienced because Jesus loves you think about it anybody thought of one thing would you raise your hand if you've thought of one thing that you have because Jesus loved you how many of you have thought of two things some of you not thinking does that thought cause a little praise to start moving somewhere down deep? When you realize I didn't get that because I took an extra year of school. I didn't get that because I'm smarter than my neighbor. I didn't get that Because I lived right. I didn't get that for anything that I did. But I got it. Because Jesus Christ loved me. When I think of some of the things that I have right now. I just want to thank Him. Thank you Jesus. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. I couldn't achieve it, but Lord, in your mercy, by the price you paid with your death, burial, and resurrection, your shedding of blood has purchased something for me that I treasure. I treasure that. And I sing this song, Cover Me, but it's with the reality that that is a reality. It's not simply a prayer. I pray that I want him to do it. It's already been done. Thanks to his death, burial, and resurrection. The next time you come to a situation where you need a little help, I would hope that this, the fullness of this message comes back to your mind and you say, and you say the abbreviated part of this message. You think all of this, but you say, I plead the blood. I plead the blood. I plead the blood. Doesn't take long to say it, but the judge knows the legal setting that you're walking in. And when you say, I plead the blood, The judge, the just judge of all eternity understands completely what you're saying because you understand what you're saying. You're not just saying a little superstitious thing. You're not just saying something that's an old saying. You're saying it because you understand the power of the blood. And you say, I plead the blood. And I believe when you do, there's going to be a calm assurance that settles over you as you hear Jesus say I've got this everything's under control it may seem like utter chaos but you've petitioned the judge in a right way even the accuser when he hears it has to back off because that's something bigger than he is it is what bought my eternal redemption hallelujah thank God for the blood I plead the blood shall we stand I'm not going to ask the musicians to come tonight I'm going to say